You are listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church. At this time, if you have children that want to attend Children's Church, we offer Children's Church through second grade, and you can dismiss your kids uh, to attend uh, Children's Church. I want to take a minute as the children exit, and uh, let's see, Maxwell, did he get up with his kids? There he is, standing in the back. I want to... uh, recognize Pastor Maxwell Clark. This is a ministry that God has uh, allowed Genesis Community Church to become a part of. Uh, Maxwell's a church planting. He's pastoring uh, Truth Church, and they were looking for a place to meet on Saturday nights. And so beginning in the very near future, Maxwell will be leading uh, the establishment of a congregation that will be meeting here on Saturday evenings. And so I want you guys to uh, see who he is and have a chance to get to know him, welcome him um, as a part of the family of God and as an extension of Genesis Community Church. So this was kind of a providential meeting. You know when God does something that's not expected? So I was at the Houston Church Planners meeting, and I was leaving, and Maxwell was standing at the back of the room talking to somebody else, and I overheard him say, oh, we, we just don't know where we're going to be meeting. And so I paused for a minute, and uh, I knew that Maxwell had somewhat targeted this community, and so listened, and I said, well, you know, that might be something we could provide, and uh, God, through the leadership of the, of the elders and just Maxwell's heart and kingdom mindset has joined us in ministry, and so, brother, we are just excited to have you here and looking forward to supporting and watching God move and work through you, because we're, we're really on the same team. And so if you guys can't make it on Sunday morning, there's going to be a Saturday evening option available to you soon. So uh, it's good to have you guys with us. One more thing. I just want to uh, say thank you for all the uh, community group leaders who uh, pastor and love and care for uh, the body. Um, we're, we're, We're at a size where those that are on staff and even the elder board aren't able to personally really get to know and love every individual. And so here at Genesis Community Church, the way we really care for one another is in community groups. And we had a community group leaders meeting yesterday, and uh, it was just so refreshing to uh, hear these guys' hearts and to know that the love that they have, the love they have for God and for you, and if you're not a part of a community group, you are, you are really missing out on one of the greatest opportunities that uh, this ministry provides. And so I want to encourage you to uh, continue to uh, look at your schedule and uh, find a way to connect to a community group, because this really is where you are, are loved most personally in this ministry. So we are continuing our study in the book of Colossians. This morning, we are looking at the Christian household. And so this week, I finally got the formal invitation from my son, Stephen, to actually perform his wedding ceremony. For those of you who know, he is uh, getting married uh, the Saturday after Thanksgiving uh, to Marissa. And uh, Tammy had been telling me, you know, you should talk to Stephen about that sermon. And I said, well, they've, they've not formally asked, and I didn't want to put pressure on him. Because the big concern is, for those of you who don't know, I'm, I'm a real crier. And uh, just a month or so ago, Stephen was in the hospital, had his spleen removed, and uh, you know, I went in there just to pray for him before the uh, um, surgery, and let me tell you, it was just not pretty. Um, I was just boohooing through that whole prayer, and I could see on their faces the deep concern, not about the surgery, 
but about if we ask this guy to marry us, is he going to be able to get through the ceremony? Because I miserably failed at my own years ago. Uh, we wrote our vows. It came time to give the vows. And uh, let me tell you, it took me about 10 minutes to get out two sentences. So not good. So I'm going to ask you, pray for me as we move towards this weekend that God gives me this, this hardened heart <laughs> through the wedding ceremony. So I bring that up to say this. As parents, one of the real exciting milestones is when your children move out of, home, out of your home and establish their own household. Because this is a strategic part of God's plan in the world. If you go all the way back to Genesis, God created Adam and then Eve and then marriage. And he gave, made this command. He says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule. God's plan for covering the earth with the knowledge of his glory was to raise up righteous individuals who would establish holy homes. It's the heart in the home. It's the heart of the individual, and it's the Christian home that is God's building blocks for all of society. And that's why in Colossians, when Paul is challenging us as to how our faith in Christ is to be most manifested, what does true spirituality look like, he talks about the transformed heart and the individual beginning in chapter 3, and he says we are to put off the things of the world, the unholiness, the ungodliness that each of us um, have embraced as broken, sinful men and women. And he says, as a result of God's grace and the faith we have in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross for us, God has given us a new uh, image. He has created us. He's made us new people. And he says, now we have the capacity to actually imitate God. And he says, put these virtues on. Reflect the heart of Christ. Reflect the person of Christ. And he gives us the Holy Spirit to empower us to actually live like Jesus in the world. So as individuals, we are called to be spiritual leaders in all the relationships that we have. And here's the important thing. Whenever you want to see change, you are always the highest point for leverage. It is you and your relationship with God. It is how you behave in relationship with other people that brings transformation. And then he moves from the individual to the Christian household. So open your Bibles with me, if you would, to Colossians chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 4-1 this morning as we look at what should the Christian household look like. As the Apostle Paul once again reinforces the two primary vehicles for God's ministry in the world, for shaping the world, for covering the world with the knowledge of his glory, it's holy hearts and holy homes. And so Apostle Paul writes these words to us. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters. Not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward." 
you are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, Father, we pray this morning that your spirit would, would really be our teacher. God, that we would hear only your voice. Lord, there really is no one that here needs to hear anything from me, but God, we also desperately need to hear your voice. And so God, give us the courage to open our hearts and our minds and to allow you to provide the wisdom and the guidance to raise up uh, households that would truly be disciple-making um, organisms to uh, see your kingdom come and your glory cover the earth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul had just finished speaking about the transformed individual, and then he goes to addressing the household. Now, in Paul's day, the household really consisted of three relationships. It was the husband and wife, the uh, marriage relationship, the parent-child, the parental relationship, and the servant-master relationship. The household was made up of these three divisions. And so Paul addresses each one, really talking about how the Christian home should be different from other homes in the world. And he addresses this this way by first addressing um, the marriage relationship. He says, wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And then husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Wives, submit to your husbands. Um, you know, submission today has kind of become a four-letter word uh, in the minds of a lot of women because the culture has tried to convince uh, women that to take a role of supporting their husband's leadership in the home is to diminish their own voice or to diminish their standing in the home. And that's just an absolute lie. Every organization needs order. And what Jesus is doing is he's providing the home order. And in no way is he diminishing the role, the voice, the importance, the influence of the wife in the relationship or in the home. In fact, some have said that he starts with the wife as a recognition of the influence that most women have over their husbands. It's been said that uh, the man is the head of the household, but the woman is what? The neck that turns the head. Uh, you know, we need to be that connected and that uh, related. Ephesians 5 kind of echoes the same voice. Paul writes there, he says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Submission means this. It means to arrange in order. It's a military term that isn't really, it isn't talking at all about equality or the dignity of the woman. This is not what God's dealing with. He's dealing specifically with order. 1 Corinthians eleven thirteen 13 says this. He says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. The head of a wife is her husband and the head of Christ is God. So Jesus is under is called to submit to the Father. And so we know that Jesus is equal with the Father so that it has nothing to do with being a lesser entity. 
It is all about structure. It's all about order. It's all about the home functioning in a healthy way so that we do or we are able to experience all of the blessing that God intends the household to hold with a structure that empowers and enables that. Now, I am married to a strong, smart, spiritual, submissive woman, and I'm enormously blessed. And there are very few decisions that we don't make together. And yet there are times when we do disagree, or there are decisions that we kind of come to different conclusions about. And I've got to say that a lot of times I'm not necessarily the best messenger of the, of the voice. A couple different times in our relationship where this was kind of tested and we've proved over, over the, the long haul that God really was leading and it was healthy. One of these, when uh, we lived in, uh, in Orlando, um, we came to a point and place in our ministry where we really kind of believed that God might be calling us to go to graduate school, to go to seminary, to advance our education as we were um, preparing for ministry. And the question was, where do we go? Now, Tammy had pretty much grown up in Orlando. Mom and dad were there. There was help with the kids. It was kind of ideal. The Reformed Theological Seminary was there. And so I had all kinds of people praying, particularly on Tammy's side of the family, that that's where we would go. It just made perfect sense. Um, And so we were wrestling through this. And uh, Tam's family was over one evening, and it had gotten late, and so I had gone ahead and gone to bed. And I was upstairs, and I was praying through this. And it's like, Lord, you know, where are we really supposed to go? What's the right decision? And it was, you know, God just showed up. And God showed me that where we were supposed to go was to Western Seminary in Portland, Oregon. Now, if you're on a map, uh, Orlando, Florida is down here. Portland, Oregon is about as far, unless you want to live in Alaska or Seattle, about as far away as you can get. And so I was so excited that I'd heard from God. It's like, wow, we've been praying about this. And I ran downstairs and I announce, guess what? I just heard from God. And he said, we're to go here. And the, re- the response was not overwhelmingly enthusiastic. And so... Uh, through that process, Tammy aligned and we moved and we, had a, we really had a good experience. We were able to come back to Orlando and plant a church and it all worked out well. But my point is that is this, is guys, the way you lead really hinders or helps your wife's ability to submit. And though we have been given by God the authority to lead our home, there are times more sensitivity is really needed to make it um, easier on our wives to really support. Because Tammy, Tammy was an absolute trooper. Because her mom, you know, was convinced I had heard from Satan, <laughs> not, not our Savior. And just put the full court press on to say, no way, you are not taking my grandbabies, you know, 3,000 miles away from here. So you can understand the tension. Uh, but we worked through that. And I could go through story after story, usually involving moves, where we weren't always on the same page, but here's what I can say with, with 100% um, confidence. God used Tammy in supporting me that made it much easier for me to follow God. And as a result of that, we've experienced God's blessing every time we've walked step by faith. 
Now, I say that to say this. We are, we are partners in our relationship with different roles and responsibilities. And the degree to which we support and help versus hinder and hurt, the unity in the home, the oneness, the faith walk that expresses itself in a plethora of ways significantly shapes the quality of lives we both experience. Because women, sometimes we feel, you know, you might feel like, wow, you know, my husband's not listening. Um, when you stand before God, what this text is saying, God is not asking you about how your husband was submitting to Christ's leadership. And what he says in this test is, is, is you submit to him, and that's expressed in your support of your husband, in your giving respect to his leadership. Now, a few things that submission is not. Submission is not an inferiority, okay? This is not that you're supposed to, you know, you know, just be quiet. It's not that you don't have a voice. It's not that you don't have insight. In fact, you know, if you go through the creation account again, the woman is twice refined. You know, God created man, and then he created women out of men, and it's kind of like, you know, I really got it right this time. I'm just, I'm just teasing. But that's why, you know, men and women go, wow, they are so much more beautiful than us. And there are some things that women, men, we just need to recognize. They're made and they're wired differently by God to contribute and uh, make contributions that sometimes we don't see or recognize. There really is something to the women's intuition. And the more that I have learned to lean into and to trust Tammy's perspective, it has created so much more harmony. You know, the woman's using both sides of the brain. Guys, we're, we're stuck on one side. And so I'm just saying, what God is saying here is not that your wife is inferior to you. It is not that you don't have, hopefully you have your best friend next to you in this. You have somebody who is pulling for you and not against you. And the probably the, one of the best places you could counsel is, is, is by your wife and through your wife. Now, I've heard all kinds of women say this, you know, I'll submit to my husband when he earns my trust. And you know what? That is just a very dangerous place to go because you're sabotaging your relationship by not submitting to God first. You're making it more difficult to even make the relationship healthy because you're distancing yourself from the source of strength to heal and help your home become everything God intended it to be. So submission is really not solely about how your husband treats you. It's about your respect and honor of God because this is the order that God has created in the home. And that's what he means when he says it's fitting in the Lord. The idea here is this is God's design. This is how God has constructed the marriage relationship and the household to function. And when we align with it, we're going to see things run much more smoothly than when we don't. So we want to not recoil at these words of wisdom from God, but embrace them because God is providing us for the path to embrace a true spirituality and healthy vitality within our home. Then he addresses husbands. And husbands, I want to I want to kind of give you a heads up because God really comes down hard on us men. If you look at this text, you are the linchpin to the health in the home because he addresses the man in every one of these relationships. He says, wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. 
Children, love your parents and obey your parents. And then he talks to the father, talks to the bondservant, and talks to the master. You're accountable to God in every component of the home. You're responsible for setting the culture in the home. And the highest investment that you make is, again, in your own personal transformation, is what the Apostle Paul has already said. If you haven't recognized your own identity in Christ and you're not seeking to reflect His image in your home, you're going to have a hard path. But when you do, you're going to find it a joy to actually obey the commandments. And the first command is to love your wife. And again, Ephesians says we're to love our wives like Christ loved the church, which is sacrificially. So if we are supposed to get up every day and die for our wife and die for our family and pour ourselves out to meet their needs, that's when we have wives that joyfully submit because they see our heart and know our commitment to Christ is as strong as our commitment to them and we desire their absolute best. The verb tense here is one that is continual. So it's not love your wife once, but it's to love and keep on loving your wife. We should work to express our love and our commitment to our wives every single day in some tangible way. If you want your wife to joyfully submit to your leadership, be the kind of leader that reflects the heart of God. So I was counseling, uh, and I hear this over and over. It's like, you know, my wife is so unappreciative. I work hard. I've provided a good home, a nice car, vacations for her. We've started a business. There's all kinds of security. And you know what you hear back oftentimes? Is you know, yeah, we have everything but you. And guys, we sometimes, because we haven't allowed our identity to rest in Christ, we are still caught up in this cultural pursuit of things to communicate our worth to ourselves. And so we think we're loving our lives well by providing stuff. And then we get frustrated that that's never enough. And here's a real interesting statistic. Is once a person's basic needs are met, food, shelter, and clothing, more stuff doesn't make you more happy. Because that's, what not, that's not what's life, what is life giving. And so many people, guys, are working so hard to give stuff to their wives and to their kids when the biggest thing they need is just more of you. And we've believed the lie that we have to keep up with the Joneses to be happy as families. And that is not what the Scripture says. Love your life the way Jesus loved the church, laying down your life for her each and every day, and you will find the love and the happiness and the support that he intended it to bring. Husbands, we have the authority in the home, but that makes us the lead servant. Above anything else, the husband is called to sacrifice himself for the well-being of his home. And we are to lead, not in a harsh way. So he says this, and do not be harsh with his wife. So you're not to come in and lead from a, position, from a positional authority. You lead out of a relational love. 
for, for your wife. And so this means you're not bossing orders. You don't even see yourself as the, as the boss. You're, you are there not to lord over, but to lift up your wife and your children. And when we fail to recognize that's the kind of leader that God has called us to, we will have trouble and, and bitterness will set into the home. Because I hear this often, again, in counseling. As the husband comes and he says, look, he says, I work long, hard days to provide for my family. My wife has no idea how much it, it, it takes out of me every day. And when I come home, all I want to do is sit down and relax for a little bit, have a hot meal. And they're completely oblivious to the fact that the wife may have had just as hard a day. Because the wife is on the other end of the spectrum and goes, you have no idea what my day's been like. I've been in this home with these kids, cleaning up, you know, taking care of every emergency that arrives, and all I need is a break when you come home. And so they're just missing each other. And bitterness starts to set in. Because you hear things like, would you just do something with those kids? And the wife's going, oh, I'll do something, all right. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Time for, you know, daddy time. <laughs> it's like, here you go. And you see how the, you see how the tension builds? Because we don't take the, the, the posture as a servant. Now, this is where it becomes hugely dangerous. In Hebrews 12, 15 through 16 says this. It says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. And by it, many become defiled that no one is sexually immoral or unholy. <clears throat> now, when, when problems go from just arguments in the home to infidelity outside of the home, where it needed to be stopped was at the very root of contention. See, we end up defiled and broken because we allow bitterness to set in and we feel disrespected by both parties versus seeking first to serve. So when we put our needs above the needs of the others, we set ourselves up to be disappointed when that person doesn't meet that need. And that puts us in a downward spiral that causes us to lose passion and interest in our spouse and that sets us up. And guys, I really believe God lays that responsibility right at our feet. If we lead well, if we love our wives well, if we guard our hearts and we serve well, we will be satisfied because that's what God has designed for us to be satisfied in. And when we bring unrealistic expectations to the home and don't accept the full responsibility, which goes something like this, again, in counseling, the husband comes and says, things, aren't, things are just not what they used to be. My wife used to, I'll, I'll over-exaggerate, bring me breakfast in bed and celebrate when I got home and, you know, uh, massage my feet, whatever, you know, whatever. <laughs> That was, that was crazy. And it's just, you know, she just doesn't do any of those things anymore. <clears throat> and this is kind of the, the seven-year itch. And it's like, well, why doesn't she? Well, now you've got three kids. 
There's all this other stuff that needs to get done. And she's not just sitting around waiting for you to get home because she's been busy taking care of the children and the household or working outside of the home. And then culturally, still a whole lot of those household expectations are placed on the wife. And so the wife then turns to the husband and says, well, that is the problem. You haven't changed. You are still the same guy that gets up, goes to work, comes home, and expects to do nothing here. And I need help. And when we let that happen, and we fail to understand the growing needs and responsibilities of households with children and other challenges, we set ourselves up to, to be defiled to let our head turn to other things, and whether it's an, uh, an affair with another woman or it's workaholism, but we start to look outside of God's design for our fulfillment. And we look to other things that God has not ordained for us to find satisfaction in. So be weary that when bitterness starts to take root in your heart, you are vulnerable to defilement of every kind. So don't allow that to come into the home. Then the Apostle Paul moves from the marital relationship to the parenting relationship, and he says this. He says, children, obey your parents in everything. For this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children lest they become discouraged. Now, let me kind of follow the flow here. Children, obey your parents. When children see loving parents, there is a far greater ability to let the parent lead. When the home is full of chaos, the child isn't necessarily affirmed that the parents know what they're doing. And that starts early. And so if we want to have children who are supported in their obedience to their parents, we need to be obedient first to God. Because what we are modeling is authority, submission to authority. And when the husband is submitted to God and the wife is submitted to the husband, there is an order that the child is comfortable setting into because there is a model that reflects submission and healthy relationship. But when we get things out of order, does it not make sense that the child too would try to find a different path than what we proposed? And so all of this builds Transformed heart leads to transformed marriages, leads to transformed parenting. And when any of it gets out of order, we put ourselves in chaos and we make ourselves vulnerable because the evil one wants to destroy homes, wants kids to be discouraged, wants parents to just throw up their, uh, their, their shoulders in frustration. So too often... Kids conclude this. Mark Twain said this. He says, when I, saw, when I was a boy of 14, my father was so ignorant, I could hardly stand to hear the man talk about anything. He says, but when I became 21, it was amazing how much he had learned in seven years. <laughs> you know, kids conclude, you know, they, they understand how everything works. And sometimes they don't appreciate the boundaries that parents set. And I just understand that. That is going to be a part of parenting. And that's going to be a part of your child discovering their own path. They will push back. And how we encourage them to align and respect authority in their life will save them so much heartache in the future. 
And hopefully we have been discipling them and that their heart's desire is to honor God. And so that their love for God is seen in their respect for their parents and they're obeying their parents. Young, young people, your parents, when they set rules for you, it's not because they don't love you, it's because they do. And one of my, some of my deepest regrets are some of the arguments I had with my mom and dad. And I've said some really horrible things to them, and I tell you that to hopefully encourage you parents who've had some of those arguments with your kids. You know, sometimes they're just venting. And when they say they hate you, they don't really hate you. They just hate the tension and the frustration and the process of stepping from adolescence into adulthood and all the various stages of growth and development. But we need to model for them what submission looks like to God, to the head of the home, and then to one another. And it goes on, and it says, Fathers, do not provoke your children. Provoke means to nag them. And that can be done in a number of different ways. Another one of the challenges is this. We put pressure on our kids to make us look good. And so once again, this is tied back to where is your identity rooted? If you think that if your kids are bad, you won't be respected, and so you're putting pressure on your kids to make you look good, you're self-consumed, not, not God-consumed. And this becomes one of the real stumbling blocks. When our kids feel like their primary role is to make us look good, we've, we've failed them. Because our primary role is to see them become the individual God wants them to be and celebrate that distinction and difference. See, the Scripture tells us this in Proverbs 22. It says, train up a child in the way he should go. And when he is older, he won't depart from him. No, train up a child in the way he should go is according to, the, to each individual's child's bend, personality. Another mistake we make as parents is we parent every child the same way when every child is different. One of the really unique things about having multiple kids is you've got the same two parents, but you get radically different personalities in those kids as the combinations. And they deserve to be treated as individuals, not as just you know, this cookie-cutter parenting, which requires more attention, more time, more work. Other ways parents can provoke is you can be overprotective. That can be a good thing, but it becomes a bad thing as the child grows up and you don't illustrate or... Um, demonstrate that you trust them with the ability to make good choices and decisions. When favoritism is shown from one child to another, it provokes anger in different children. Unrealistic goals and expectations become a provoking of the child when um, we don't understand who they are. Failure to show affection or approval can drive them crazy. Do your children ever hear you say that you love them? Do they hear that you say, I'm so proud of you? You know, you, you are just an awesome child. You're such a blessing to this home. Do you affirm your child or are you always critical? Overcriticism will cause a child to despair because they'll feel like they can't measure up. And what we're doing is we're teaching that performance is what's required for acceptance. And that's an unhealthy value to plant in our children's heart. Another thing that provokes is inconsistent enforcement of the rules. You know, this is moody parenting. It's like, man, I'm just tired tonight. So I hear what's going on, I see what's happening, but I just don't have the energy to go deal with it. And so one night, this is expected of them, and the next night, it's this. 
And when we're not consistent, we are causing the child to despair. We're making it more and more difficult for them to submit to God, to respect authority. And God says, that's, that's on you, dads. We're to set the culture in the home with how the children are raised and supported and encouraged in their walk with God and becoming the individuals that God's called them to be. So then Paul moves from the parenting relationship to the master slave relationship or the employee relationship. Um, now, it's kind of interesting that in some sense, outsourcing was a part of, of homes for a long time. Now, these days, we don't necessarily have you know, servants in our homes, but we outsource a lot, don't we? How many of you have yard services or somebody that cleans your pool? Or, you know, what's amazed me is how many families now start to have nannies. I have a niece who's a nanny. And we don't live in a, an elaborate neighborhood. It's a nice neighborhood, but we live in a nice little cul-de-sac. And there's only, what, eight homes in our cul-de-sac? At one period a few years ago, three of those homes had, had live-in nannies. So culturally, there is something that happens there because these parents were self-employed and they had more than one kid, and it was just more expensive for them to pay for childcare than it was to bring somebody into the home. And so we do have people that support us, mow our yards, clean our homes, um, take care of uh, our, our pools. And Paul's addressing anyone else that comes into the household that works with you or observes the way your house operates. And he challenges them this way. He says, bond servants, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. This kind of addresses the employee-employer relationship. So the principles, though he's addressing it in the context of a home, apply to us as, uh, as employers or as employees. And he says there, he says, eye service as people pleasers. Now, how would you paraphrase that? Um, there's ways we would paraphrase that, you know, you're, you're not to be a brown noser, you know. You're supposed to go in and you're supposed to be an authentic, hardworking, honest person. But with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. So as an employee, we work for the Lord first. So in everything that we do, we seek to honor God. He goes on, he says, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. So what God is saying this is the way you do your job, God is aware of. And you're to do your job as if you're working for him, first and foremost, which determines how you do it. But he goes a bit beyond that. He says, your rewards in heaven are determined to a certain degree by your effort here on earth. And what is that about? By the way you model me. Because your primary role there is to be a witness for Christ. It's not the work, it's the witness that's first and foremost. So in everything we do, we have to be asking ourselves, how does this reflect back on the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Because if I profess to be a Christian and I'm not the hardest working, best equipped, most loyal employee that my employer has, I'm to a certain degree short, shorting the reputation of God. 
So the Christian life overflows into every expression. So we ought to be the hardest worker, as I've said, the most diligent, the most dependable, the most honest individuals in our offices. And if you are a housekeeper or a maid or you're in somebody's home, you work better than any anyone else. Now, the real benefit is this. There's job security in that, isn't there? You know, when we go out and we try to cut corners, we're really cutting the legs right out from under us. We're jeopardizing God's provision for us through the job. And let's say, let's be honest with ourselves, nothing is really worth that. You know, stealing five minutes of break time, uh, taking work supplies home, all of those things, if you think big picture, what you're putting at risk is enormous because you're actually putting at risk not only the reputation of God, but your own job security. And so if you want job security, follow the principles of God's word. You work hard and you work for the success of your employer and you are creating an environment that allows the employer to bless you. And oftentimes if you're that kind of an employee, they want to bless you, particularly if they're following the words of wisdom of God. Where he goes on and he says this. He says, Masters, now the employer, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. So once again, there's order of authority, there's submission. We treat others the way God has treated us, fairly, justly, graciously. We honor them, we respect them, we provide for them. I don't have a whole lot of time to talk about this, but one of the real challenges when I was with Mission Houston and we were working in Tomball was uh, day laborers and the abuse uh, that they were taking. Because there would be people who'd pull up and hire them, take them, ask them to work a hard day for them, and then not pay them anything. And And I came to learn that a lot of the people who were abusing this were deacons in churches. And that just broke my heart. Because as Christians, we are never supposed to exploit anyone. And as an employer, we are supposed to pay a fair day's wage. We ought to be places that are providing as many benefits as possible for the people who are working with us for the success of the task or job. And when we look for ways to cut corners to save money, um... Sometimes we're worshiping manna above the master. Now, I realize, you know, the bottom line is really important in business. But we've got to keep in mind, everything that we do is more about the witness of the one who died and gave himself for us than anything else. And whether we are the employer or the employee, we ought to be given wholeheartedly to the success and well-being of those around us. And that is the progression that God is teaching in the institutional structures of society, of which the home is the basic building block. And so one of the greatest ways that we serve the kingdom is to raise godly kids, is to have holy marriages, is to be transformed individuals. Because as we raise children who establish homes and raise children who raise 
up godly individuals. We make a bigger impact on society through the organic multiplication of healthy disciples than almost any other way. It's really interesting as the Apostle Paul is dressing in the Colossians in the third and fourth chapter, what does true spirituality really look like? He starts with the heart of the individual and the home that kind of heart creates that honors and respects authority. So guys, I want to end by addressing you once again. Your key. In every one of these relationships, it was the man that God pointed to. And he says, you want a healthy home, happy children, respectful employers. It all starts with how you honor God in your own relationship. Now, if Paul has done anything through this, one of the things that he has done is he has told us is the Christian journey is not a solo act. Men in our culture, we want to be self-sufficient, you know, Rambo Christians. And that's one of the dangers is we think, man, I can, I can deal with this. I'll go into my prayer closet by myself and confess this and God will work. You know, we're already stepping out of order because God has called us. We've seen this through the book of Colossians. We need each other. The body builds itself up. Now, I know we're all busy. We talked about community groups earlier. I just want to let you know that God has provided you resources, tools, support, that if we say no to, we will probably find ourselves falling short of what he's called us to. So one of the most godly things you can do is organize your life to be in relationship with other Christian men who have the same level of responsibility as you do and are striving to reflect Christ in everything you do. Because let's be honest, that's hard. It's really hard to do well. And no matter how many times you've failed, it's still possible because everything that God's called you to, God provides the power for you to succeed at it. But that's not going to happen by yourself. And so I want to challenge us as the family of God to take responsibility for building healthy support systems. And that is in our community groups where we're honest about the struggle so that bitterness isn't setting into our marriage relationships, where we have rebellious kids that we're able to get prayer support and help so that we don't become critical of the child, always expecting them to, to misbehave rather than behave. When we have difficulty in the workplace, we're finding ourselves complaining more than calling others alongside us to say, pray with me. I want to challenge you. Find a community group. Join hands with other people because the well-being of your heart and your home depend on it. We have discipleship cells that are there for you because this whole calling that God's talking to you to put off immorality, if you follow the trend culturally, a whole lot of immorality and a whole lot of that you know, let's just say it, pornography and the, and the problems are in, are in these 
imaginary relationships because we're trying to boost our identity, even if it's in a pseudo world. And as I read the scripture and as I study that, it starts in your having a home that's honoring God and, and preventing you from becoming vulnerable to false intimacy that wants to steal everything from you. So I want to challenge you because I believe this. If you have a wife who loves God, she wants to submit to you. If you have children who've grown up knowing the truth, they want to honor you. And the key to that is you. So stop trying to look spiritual and let's become together what God's called us to be because we need each other. And in the end, the repercussions of this are enormous because if we fail as men of God to raise up godly children, we will find ourselves in a place where all of what society is stops honoring God. And tragically, we're there to a large degree, aren't we? We so desperately need men to answer the call, to rise up and be the leaders that God's called you to be. And nobody wants that more than your wife. So start believing in the people around you that we are called to love each other and that your wife is and will love you well and that your children can honor you if and when you choose to stop putting your identity in the things of the world and to let it rest in who Christ says you are, to tap the power of God through the Spirit of God to become the man of God that he's called you to be. And then we become transforming agents in the world. And we can, from this church, see individual lives changed, homes changed, neighborhoods, workplaces, as we develop an infrastructure that allows the power of God to flow through us in ways that tap back into the very design of God. Individuals who love Him and homes who reflect Him. And if we just focus on those, doing those things well, I believe we'll see Genesis unfold. Be fruitful, multiply. As we multiply, we fill. As we fill, we subdue. As we subdue, we will rule righteously for the glory of God. So much of that depends on each and every one of us choosing to surrender, to submit to our place in God's design, our calling, and being faithful to God in it. So we can and we will as we lift God up, become a reflection of him, a transformational force in this world. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to audio from Genesis Community Church. To find out more, visit us online at genesiscommunity.church.